Hi, everyone, and welcome to the HR Works Podcast, brought to you by HR Daily Advisor. I'm your guest host, Josh Zygmunt, Content Director for Simplify Media. The HR Works Podcast provides clear, relevant, and actionable information on topics that matter to you, the HR professional. When you're armed with the best practices and strategies to attract, retain, and engage top talent and deliver exceptional service to your organization, HR just works. In today's episode, we're joined by Aaron Dertuzos, Vice President of People Strategy at StrongDM, a California-based infrastructure database company. Erin is an HR leader with over 15 years of experience, and in her current role, she has helped build StrongDM's completely distributed team, facilitating a culture that has meetings when only truly necessary, doesn't default to email, and puts the company's people-first philosophy into action. Let's check out the episode. Erin, welcome to the HR Works Podcast. Thank you so much for having me. Well, it's great to have you here. I'm really excited to dig into a conversation about creating a successful distributed workforce, something that so many of our listeners can benefit from as we're going through such an interesting time in the remote era and move really what does return to work look like for so many teams. So digging into that will be great. I can't wait to talk to you all about it. But before we do so, I'd love to get you introduced to our audience with the HR Works podcast. So if you don't mind, share a bit about your background, your career path, and really what led you to pursuing a career in people operations and recruiting. Sure, sure. Well, first off, again, thank you so much for having me, and I'm excited to share a little bit about StrongDM, how we figured out remote first for us. Um, A little bit about my background, I'm going to date myself a little bit, um, but I started off my career, um, my educational background, wanting to be a forensic psychologist for the FBI. And that was inspired by a mid-90s TV show called The Profiler. Found out relatively quickly that that wasn't the right path for me and had a summer job for a couple summers in HR and found that there were different challenges every day and I was able to help solve them. It was a dynamic role um, working with a lot of different people and I knew I always wanted to be in New York City when I finished school up. Um, So that's where I targeted my job search when I graduated and found a role at the New York Public Library, which is an amazing cultural institution. But after a couple years, I had the job my grandmother would be proud of. I had an office. I had an assistant. But I was at an organization that was 100 years old and really slow when it came to change. So I shifted into a startup. Um, I joined a company called Meetup about 15 years ago before startups were really a thing in New York. And the rest is history. I found my way to Strong DM pre-COVID about two and a half years ago. And part of the reason I joined Strong DM was specifically because I had never scaled a completely distributed culture before. So I joined is employee 13, and we're now just over 150 with employees in over 30 states. Wow. That's a great story of finding this career path. As important as it is to sometimes make grandma proud, You've got to pursue that passion that sometimes finds you. So that's uh, that's really exciting. Thank you for sharing that, Aaron. No problem. All right. So as you mentioned, you've got employees in over 30 states. That's really impressive. And again, speaks to where we're moving just as a workplace culture toward that more distributed workforce. And as I mentioned just in the intro, StrongDM is a fully remote and fully distributed workforce currently, something that I think a lot of teams are grappling with is can they make that move and should they make that move back to the office or they're more effective working fully remote? So tell me, what have you seen in terms of leadership elements and attributes that have made for a successful distributed workforce model at StrongDM? Sure. That's a great question. I think it's very important to have very strong communication skills, especially when it comes to internal communications. 
you're not going to bump into each other in the hallway the way that you would if you were in an office. So our leaders need to be much more purposeful around how they're communicating with staff, when they're communicating with staff, and what they're actually communicating to staff. Um, I'd also say that having high empathy and assuming positive intent is also very important. And the reason that's exceedingly important in a distributed workforce is you can only see folks from like the shoulders down on camera unless they're being really creative, I'll say with camera angles. So you can't see as easily if someone is clamming up or if their legs are going a mile a minute or if they're fidgeting, it's easy enough to hide that. So I think you're relying on your gut, you're relying on asking a lot of questions. Um, So those indicators are so much more important if someone seems hesitant to ask about that. Um, If you sense something is off as a leader to, to jump on that. I'd also say at Strong DM, a willingness to ask for help, acknowledge failure, is also really important. And that might go back to the high empathy piece. Because we're distributed, um, we only see, we only hear the things that we purposefully communicate. So there's a humbleness that we look for in our leaders that our staff has come to expect. So um, you hear in startups a lot of times, fail fast, fail often. We also communicate when we fall down. And I think that that builds trust in a way that you might not see at other organizations. That's great. I mean, that's creating some transparency and just some honesty within your team, which again, goes both ways, right? If you've got mm-hmm. trust within your workforce that you can be honest and accept failure or admit failure, that trust will go up from the first employee all the way to the top. That's that's really great and really encouraging. So a question for you, Aaron, has Strong DM always been a distributed workforce or was this a move that was brought into motion from March 2020 and the shift to the remote era that so many of us have seen? We have always been distributed. So our co-founders made a conscious decision very early on that they wanted to experiment with a distributed workforce. And our co-founders were actually not all in the same place when when they started the company. So we've always been distributed. I joined in January of 2020. Um, So I joined a company that was already spread out across the U.S. And we've continued down that path. Early on, our investors were not totally bought in at times. They were concerned about how we would build culture. Would we have higher turnover? How would we retain folks? And we've shown them over time that we can indeed do that, and we can do that very successfully um, through a number of different programs that we run here. Yeah, I mean, that's something I think we're seeing so many teams, especially leadership teams, grappling with is understanding that there's value in making the move to a remote and fully distributed workforce but clearing some of those hurdles, some of those hesitations, because for so many of us, we've had to relearn working in this new era and understand so many of the advantages that could be there in a remote workforce, but also overcome some of the norms that we've gotten used to working in office scenarios, which has, again, completely changed since 2020. So yeah, that's really interesting to see. So what are some of the advantages, especially as someone who has come from working in office to then joining a team that is fully remote? What are some of the advantages you've seen in operating with a fully distributed workforce? Great question. Well, there's now studies coming out around productivity, um, employee wellness, mental health wellness, work-life balance, 
But one of the unexpected benefits that I've noticed is there's a level of diversity that I've seen that I haven't experienced previously. So caveat being the startups that I worked at previously to coming at Strong DM were um, all based in New York City. They might have had a satellite office somewhere else or a couple distributed sales folks, but generally the bulk of the office was based in New York. And New Yorkers tend to believe that we're a pretty diverse group of people. There's a lot of folks who moved to New York from other areas of the country and the world. Um, but what I didn't realize working and hiring in New York City was that it was very limiting to certain subsets of, of the world. So um, one lack of diversity would be we had a lower percentage of parents on average than I've experienced at Strong DM. Um, so just speaking from people that I know and love who are in my personal life, when they lived in New York City or the suburbs of New York City, once they had a couple children, a lot of them tended to move back home to be closer to family or to get larger homes because the boroughs are very expensive. Even the area right, side of, right outside of New York City tend to be very expensive. So there tends to be a limit to how many people with children actually can afford to live in the neighborhoods that they want to live in. So I found that that was a limiting factor. Another limiting factor um, around diversity was a lot of people in New York City tend to be like-minded when it comes to political views, um, when it comes to certain other views, because like attracts like in many ways. Right. There's a reason you moved to New York. Exactly. Um, when we hired in a distributed workforce, we have folks who live in rural areas. We have folks who live in suburban areas. We have folks who live in the cities of the U.S. So you've got people who come from all different backgrounds, all different perspectives, and that brings different lived experiences, different life experiences. So that was a really unexpected benefit um, that I never would have thought coming into a distributed workforce um, and has really brought different layers to Strong DM and the culture that I haven't been able to experience elsewhere. That's really interesting. I hadn't thought of that either from the diversity standpoint, that there are still so many similarities in a region that yeah. expanding to a multi-region team, you're going to get even more diversity in viewpoints and just understanding that can only make the team stronger. That's a really interesting point, Erin. Thank you. What I thought was really interesting too that you mentioned when we were talking just about elements and attributes that create a successful distributed workforce was mentioning that empathy piece and really leaning into being empathetic, but then also assuming positive intent so much have been working remotely that so many of us have seen, right? We're relying more on technology. We're relying more on text to communicate. And assuming that positive intent is such a smart approach because so much gets lost in text and email. The use of punctuation can only go so far. And sometimes you have to be overly um, overuse of exclamation points just to make sure that you don't come across as maybe having some edge or come across negatively. But it completely makes sense in a distributed model that you've got to assume communications are meant with good intention and positivity to keep driving things forward. Thank you. Yeah. So with that being said, being a part of a fully distributed workforce, it's not for everyone. Are you seeing certain personality traits that work best in this model for candidates for talent that come in? So when you are looking in the market and looking at new talent to join the group, you can clearly say, okay, this candidate fits and will do well in a remote workforce versus maybe this other candidate needs to be more in person. Great question. I certainly know my husband and I joke, he's not built for this. He, he suffered through it for part of the pandemic. It's not his jam. Um, I think, you know, one of the things that we ask all candidates is why Strong DM? Why this role? Why now? Why this company? 
And um, one of the red flags that often pops up is if the only reason a candidate wants to join StrongDM is because we're remote, we will dig in a lot on that. When someone's getting late in the interview stage, there should be some other reason in our minds as to why they're joining us, whether it's an interesting technical problem, product market fit, the culture we've built. Um, if toward the end of the interview process, the only reason they're really looking to join us is that we're a remote company, at this point in, in this pandemic, there are so many other companies that are also remote. We just need more out of someone. So that's a red flag for us. Right. You're a database company. You're not a remote company who happens to work on a database. Exactly. Um, we will ask, depending on the role, we'll ask folks how they handle organization, how they prioritize things. If they've worked in a remote environment before, we'll poke around at what worked for them, what didn't work for them. I think it's very important for people who are entering a distributed environment to know what works best for them. So if you're someone who needs a lot of external motivators to get things done, and there are folks who need you know, their manager in the next room just psychologically to be able to focus, yeah. this isn't the right environment necessarily for you. So I think being really honest with yourself around what kind of situation and setup sets you up for success is really important. Um, I think it's also really important that you be honest about the tools that you need in order to set yourself up for success. So I have been astonished by how much people can get done in a day. I've also been astonished by how little people can get done in a day in a remote environment. So it's really about how people think about setting up their time, how they block off their calendar. When people join StrongDM, one of the first onboarding sessions that they have is called How We Work. And we train folks on how we work. So specifically, remote meetings are with the cameras on. There's only so much you can read in voice intonation. So we, we really insist that cameras are on so that you get that added color of how someone's reacting. Right. Um, we, we train folks on how important it is to have a specific location where you work. So even if you're in a small apartment, where you sit, if you have two seats at the kitchen table, maybe pick one of those seats for where you're sitting during work and another seat for where you're eating. Because psychologically, that turns on and turns off work time versus not work time. So I think it's important to identify what sets you up for success. But I also think it's important for the business to really educate folks on those other things that sets everyone up for success. Yeah, even to being intentional of where you work yeah. is so smart. And I think something that a lot of us learned early on, right, when we all shifted to a remote space, Speaking for myself, working from the kitchen table became the first logical place to go. And then you quickly realize, because it's the same place I eat dinner, I need to move. I need to have a designated workspace yeah. because, again, you're right. Psychologically, it's necessary just to create that differentiator between work and being off time. And, and that goes back to work-life balance. I think something that certainly became a challenge for, for many of us, there was a lot of benefits to work-life balance. We learned so much about it early on. But burnout became a big challenge that many who were new to the remote workforce uh, encountered pretty quickly because when do you turn off? So that points to one challenge maybe we've seen with remote workforces, but have you seen any challenges in your experience with a fully remote workforce? And what steps have you taken at StrongDM to overcome some of those challenges? Sure. Great question. So early on, as I mentioned, some of our investors were concerned around how people would feel connected and part of the fabric of our culture. So we, when I joined, I started building out very early on what the onboarding experience was like. 
a series of sessions where folks could get to to understand our different leaders, the different teams, what they focused on, how we worked. And and that continues to be one of the first sessions that people go through. Um, We also realized that one of the things you miss a lot of times in a distributed workforce is that water cooler talk. You have to be more intentional around it. So each day we have a meeting called The Daily. It's 15 minutes most days. It's at the same time every day for the most part, where the whole company comes together. Um, Each day it's a different update, but it's the same time every day where we're all doing the same thing. And it brings a sense of togetherness. Um, And it's fun. It's generally lighthearted. Our CEO currently runs it um, as of last week. Um, But it really brings a sense of um, belonging. That's where we introduce our new hires. We have um, jokes at the beginning sometimes. It's just like, it's not all business all the time. It gives people a a time to kind of relax. We have another meeting that happens weekly um, on Thursdays that's called Coffee-ish. And that is where people can share self-teaching, self-learning, things they're passionate about, or it can just be non-work talk. So sometimes it's scheduled, sometimes it's not, but something that brings us out of the day-to-day. And I think that that also kind of helps with that sense of disconnection that can sometimes happen with a distributed workforce. I love coffee-ish. That's really smart. These are steps to create more of a community and culture when you're distributed. And that's always been the biggest red flag or the biggest challenge to clear is how do you create a workplace culture when you don't have a shared workplace but it's creating those shared workspaces that really does that. And even down to, as you mentioned, the daily team meeting that you set up where it's intended to be not focused on work and just to have some camaraderie and level the playing field for everyone just to catch up and see each other. That's a great idea. And again, a great step toward ensuring that you've got a great culture that is going to be the backbone for your workforce and keep everybody together. Thank you. Thank you. That's, that's really cool to hear about. So one of the unique features of, of the strong DM culture is creating a culture where you're only meeting when necessary. What was the catalyst to that step? I'd love to learn more about that. It's interesting, and I think it's something that a lot of teams can adopt. Um, I, it wasn't anything magical. It, simply put, was sprawl. We started growing, and a lot of us were in meetings from dawn till dusk. Um, so there were many weeks where I would look at my calendar and... Um, and, and many of the leaders were in the same situation where we were in meetings from nine in the morning until six, six thirty at night. And I mean, just weeks on end of that, of being days and days behind on email. Our team couldn't get a hold of us. Our CEO was, was struggling with this as well. Um, and it was, I believe it was just a side effect of the company growing very, very quickly. So we ended last year with 80-ish employees and, and we've doubled so far this year. So with all of those additional people, that meeting list went from maybe three people to now 10. And and you don't want folks feeling left out, but you're not always being intentional about who really needs to be in that meeting or does it need to be a meeting. So we've started taking steps toward being much more thoughtful, much more intentional about what meetings were in, what meetings are being scheduled. And trying to educate our team around around how we think about meetings, around whether or not we even go to meetings, learning how to use optional. We were not a team that used optional for meetings much, for people joining those meetings. So it, yeah, what caused it was just sprawl. It, it exploded seemingly out of nowhere, where all of a sudden we were back to back to back to back to back with not even a bathroom break. Right. I mean, as you mentioned, you were employee 13? I was, yeah. 
right? So to scale then up to 80 that quickly, it can be so easy to get caught in being in so many of those meetings and still being as hands-on as you were at employee 13 to then have such a large team so quickly. Yeah, I think being intentional and understanding where do you need to be, you can't be everywhere at once, is really smart just as going back to that burnout challenge to keep things moving along and keep yourself balanced. Certainly, that's a great step. So as you're deciding what meetings are necessary, what's the deciding factor to say, okay, this is a necessary meeting versus something that may be an optional choice or can be uh, outsourced to an email? Sure. Um, So sometimes I'll ask the team, especially with recurring meetings, is this valuable? It's okay if it's not then we can kill it. We can always bring it back. Um, But those like weekly meetings that have just been there for seemingly forever that are just like updates. I recently did this. uh, We had an ops meeting that I ran. It was a Monday morning ops meeting on 15 minutes, had maybe a dozen people on it. And one day I, I was like, shoot, I'm pretty sure I can just do this in an email. And I emailed everyone and said, here are the updates. Here's a link to the report. We're gonna try this. Let me know if if you feel like something is missing. And our chief of staff immediately responded and was like, I love that you just did this. And I thought, well, because everything we were communicating could be dropped in an email. There is value in seeing each other face-to-face, absolutely. But this was a recurring weekly meeting that just felt like, man, I I just don't see the value in this. So I, I think first off, it's asking ourselves and being like, emotionally honest with ourselves. Is there real value here? Um, Can an email or some other communication suffice? Another question that I often um, find as a delineator is like, is this a meeting that's going to be like a debate? Do we want to have a healthy discussion around this or that or brainstorming? I think those are meetings that are, are really important to do live, especially because debates in written form. We talked earlier about like assuming positive intent and in writing when someone's debating something, sometimes things get emotional and people can take things personally. So that's that's one where um, I think that it's more likely than not it can go left in an email or written communication, or it can just clog up your inbox for four days if you get people going back and forth. So those are some of the questions I ask myself or my team when I'm looking at my calendar and doing an audit of of my, my calendar. Oh, we've all been there and caught in the email back and forth where everyone clearly knows, okay, this could be hashed out in a five minute conversation. And oftentimes it takes 10 emails back and forth to finally say, Hey, let's get on a call to iron this one out. I think that's so true. But to the other side, I think there are definitely those opportunities where just because we always used to meet, feel comfortable to challenge that norm and say, okay, maybe this can move to an email, become more efficient, move more toward that asynchronous culture that that so many of us are getting accustomed to where you can get the updates on your time and use that save time to be more efficient elsewhere. And that leads me to my next question. What are some of the efficiencies and, and the upsides you're seeing now to moving toward this more selective, intentional meeting culture? Sure. So I think one of the biggest drivers for being more thoughtful about our meetings and our meeting culture was a lot of us were only finding time for deep work in our personal time, right? So doing that deep work, that thoughtful work, that strategic work late night or weekends, like, man, that cuts into your life, like your life life. Um, So I found that in moving some of those meetings off my calendar completely or being more thoughtful about what meetings I'm in or even just how I'm scheduling them. So I I find it 
rough when you've got a half hour meeting, half hour, no meeting, half hour meeting, half hour, like that, that just ruins the whole day. Um, so even being more thoughtful about things like that allows for a couple hours of deep work where I can actually think about our strategy or run data or, or really dig in. So I think that's one of the pros. Um, another pro, as I just mentioned, that on, off, on, off is it's so distracting productivity when when you've got either fewer meetings or more condensed meetings you get more productivity it's amazing what you can get done on that checklist when you're able to just work you know without distractions i think it's one of the biggest benefits to distributed workforce is that people can work in the ways that they're most successful right. um and and not get interrupted by someone who happens to be walking by your desk to to go to the coffee machine that was the biggest thing that stood out to me Oh, yeah. I, I couldn't believe how distract, especially with all of the open space offices where everyone's working in the same space. It's just unbelievable how distracting that can be. Um, and you don't realize it until you're alone and you just are like not getting interrupted. You could start an email and finish an email in, in one one shot. Exactly. Um, and I notice now my husband gets home um, and finishes work much earlier than me. That last hour of my day, I literally have to remind them, like, I'm still working. Can you, I really love you and I appreciate you, but I'm still working and you're driving me nuts um, because I can't, otherwise I can't focus on what I need to focus. So um, I would say those are the primary benefits. I'd say the biggest potential con, and we talked about this a bit, is that interaction with your coworkers, with your team, you have to be much more thoughtful and much more, um, you know, specific about when you're interacting with folks, there, there absolutely is value to chatting with people um, in, in some of the openings of the meetings or specifically scheduling time for that group bonding. But it has to be more, um, more thoughtful and more planned than it would be in an office where you're just bumping in or grabbing lunch or things like that. Well, I really like that thought around focus too. And we've all been there where you look in your calendar for the day and you've got stacked meetings one after another, after another. And first, if you can be efficient with your time and actually make it on time to the next ones, because I've been there, we've all been there, we're five minutes over in one meeting, at least yeah. to five minutes to the next. And you're also shifting focus to different topics from one to the next, where are you really fully contributing versus having some break and being intentional to fully focus? It's interesting to think about how much that can be affected by having too many meetings. Mm -hmm. Absolutely. And I think one of the other things that folks are sometimes resistant to is asking to move that meeting. So when I was talking about having like a half hour meeting, a half hour break, a half hour meeting, a half hour break, sometimes I think people are nervous that they'll come off as rude if they ask to book it for a different time that's more convenient for their calendar. And I think normalizing that kind of behavior is very important as well, that, um, We'll all be a little bit more productive if we can make it work with calendar Tetris. Um, I, I think normalizing that sort of behavior that just because two weeks ago it was booked in this time doesn't mean we have to like live and die by, by that time. If it now makes more sense right. that everything is fleshed out, that it might make sense to move that to a slightly different time slot. Yeah. Schedules are fluid. Things are always changing. Life gets in the way or life exists and, and you've got to find that balance. I think that's totally okay. And right, that goes back to just assuming positive intent yep. and understanding that everyone's working toward one shared goal. So shifting gears a bit, Aaron, I, I want to look at now the future of the workforce. What are we seeing with this latest wave of talent and what are some of the advantages that they may be bringing to the workforce that set them apart from some of the previous generations? We're seeing this class of Gen Z come in. What's making them unique? 
Well, I mean, each generation, I think, brings their own benefits and, and perspectives that are so valuable. This new generation grew up with technology in ways that previous generations didn't, right? So my generation, um, when I was like graduating high school, it was the AOL dial-up discs that you got 50 in the mail at any given right. time. This generation largely grew up with mobile access and, and largely grew up with internet access at their fingertips at all times. So they are native to technology in a way that previous generations just weren't. Um, and I think that that brings a unique perspective to discussions in how we connect and how we disconnect in perspectives to discussions around user experience and how we think and talk about our customers, our end users, um, that having not grown up with technology in the same way, um, I just can't bring that lived experience. So I think that that's a really unique perspective that only folks who have grown up with technology in that way can. I would say um, another thing that, that I'm seeing from um, the newest generation to the workforce is an insistence on work-life balance, on um, being treated humanely by employers in ways that previous generations might not have insisted upon. And I think that that's a really positive thing. And I think that the pandemic has forced or has allowed other employees of different generations to pause and reconsider work-life balance in ways they might not have. But this newer generation is actually demanding it and, and recognizing that they have control over the behaviors they're allowing managers and leaders to show. And that's exciting for me. Yeah, I think so many of us in the previous generations, when we shifted to a remote workforce, learn, wow, there can be work-life balance. I think it was almost surprising to so many of us to say, hey, this can actually work to the newest generation coming in, to your point, are expecting it. Mm -hmm. That's really interesting to see that it's not a surprise that work-life balance can exist. It's something that they want, that's demanded, that they're looking for. Yep. And I think that benefits all of us. Yeah. And there's also just the comfort in technology, To back to your point again, that moves more toward and lends itself more toward having more distributed workforces and that be, being something that can be easily transitioned versus the previous generations who were conditioned to working in an office and had to kind of relearn how to work efficiently from home and, and from distributed and separate places. I think that's mm -hmm. something that gives this new generation a unique advantage. They're jumping right into it. They don't have to unlearn anything. Yep, absolutely. That's really exciting. So we're here with Aaron Dertuzos, Vice President of People Strategy at Strong DM, talking so much around leading a distributed workforce, being efficient, and ways to really build your team to be smart and efficient with both time, meetings, and location. But Aaron, I want to learn more about you and what you've experienced over the last two years. We've talked so much about how the workforce has maybe changed since March 2020. What's something that you've learned about yourself over the last two years that's made you a better leader? Well, it's definitely a work in progress still, um, but I would say this is the first company in a long time where I've had some semblance of work-life balance, and I'm working from the same space I live in. It's the first time I've done that. I would say that this is the first organization that has respected those boundaries, um, that doesn't just preach it, but a CEO who will jokingly admonish folks who, who are checking email while they're on vacation. And for me, I um, 
as many Americans do, part of my, a big part of my identity is my work. And I love the work that I do. It truly brings me joy. It is hard for me to unplug because in my mind, I'm constantly thinking through the projects I'm working on, the, the really tough challenges that, that we're facing. And it's hard for me to turn that off. But I'd say the past two years, I have really learned how to unplug in ways that I didn't before. I don't check email on the weekends for the most part. I took Friday off this past Friday. This morning was the first time I checked my email since Thursday. That's Um, that's a tough one for me. So I'm working on it, but I would say that, 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 that is one of the biggest, um, biggest changes in me over the last couple of years. That's great. Thank you for sharing that, Erin. Sure. And then do you have any advice that you could pass along to our audience of HR professionals, many ranging from new to the community to maybe longstanding members, but a piece of advice that you've leaned on in your career and career growth that you could pass along and pay it forward? Sure. A co-founder once told me, I was in my first leadership role, and a co-founder once told me that I saw problems before anyone else did. And that it would do me some service if I waited a little longer to point them out. And at the time, I thought he was bonkers. I thought, no, it's good that I see the problems before anyone else. We can get in front of it. We can, we can you know, solve it. But he said that other leaders were, were sometimes defensive when um, someone outside of their org is pointing out potential challenges, they might be less willing to partner with you early on and be vulnerable with you early on, that sometimes you need to wait until it's a little bit more obvious of a challenge to offer help. And that has been challenging at times when especially a lot of folks in in the people function and people ops, human resources are high empathy they can read people well, so they can see it coming. They can see that that friction start to build. So it's hard to hold it. Um, finding that balance of when to, to raise the flag um, can be challenging. But I found that waiting at times until I know the leader is going to be more open to having the conversation or the staff member is going to be more open to having the conversation um, has helped me build a lot of internal trust and has made the path to being that trusted partner a lot shorter, even though in the moment, sitting on my hands is like getting my fingernails ripped out. Um, But it was some of the best advice I ever received. And I've known this founder for almost going on two decades now. And his advice has been pretty solid uh, most of my career. He's actually part of the reason I took this job. Um, so he he was spot on. So that would be, I'd say, a piece of advice I'd, I'd offer to folks who are in the people business. I love that. Yeah, that is great advice. Thank you for sharing that, Aaron. That's a unique piece of advice. I think we really do get a lot of unique pieces of advice in asking that question, but that one is, is certainly original and yeah, it definitely fights a lot of our instinct to want to just help and call things out when you see them going down the wrong path. Uh, but taking that patience, giving that moment to really wait for the right time can be so crucial. Yeah. All right. Well, Aaron Dutuzos, do you have anything you'd like to plug? Anything you're excited about either with Strong DM coming up or just personally that you'd like to share with our audience? 
I would just say um, we're going to be talking a lot in the upcoming months about what we're doing at Strong, how we're continuing to work on a people-first culture. The thing that I think our leaders understand at Strong is when you invest in your people and you treat your employees well, they will do well by the company. And I think so many leaders get that wrong. Um, They're so focused on return on investment in the short term that they forget to really treat their teams with dignity and respect. And that's something that Strong DM, when we say people first, we really truly put our people first. And we're going to be spending a lot more time in the upcoming months sharing out how we do that. and, and that'll be on our blogs, that'll be um, in all different ways. So stay tuned to hear more about some of our initiatives. That sounds great. And for anyone that wants to learn more about Strong DM, is there a website we can send our listeners to? Yes, uh, you can see strongdm.com to learn more about our product, more about our initiatives, and learn more about our team. All right, fantastic. Well, Aaron, one more question before we let you go. And I ask this of all my guests you wake up in the morning, your feet hit the floor. What is the one thing that gets you motivated to start your day? Ooh, that's a tough one. Um, I would say knowing that my team is helping people grow in their careers. Watching people grow is the thing that brings me the most joy. And that's something that being in the people business allows us to do. Great answer. Thank you. All right. Well, Aaron Dertuzos, Vice President of People Strategy at Strong DM, thank you so much for joining the HR Works podcast, sharing such great information and sharing so much about yourself and your experience in leading a distributed workforce. It was a great conversation and we'll definitely keep tabs on you and and root for you guys and hope to have you back soon to keep the discussion going. Thank you so much for having me. It was a pleasure. Likewise. Thanks, Aaron. Thank you for listening to the HR Works Podcast. Be sure to check out our new episodes every Tuesday. Follow us on all major streaming platforms, including iTunes, Spotify, and Amazon Audible.